Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode 14 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. And you can find detailed show notes to this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash 14, the number 14. This week, we're going to talk about yet another great opportunity for writers, and it's one that you don't normally hear about. It's all about writing product descriptions for business-to-consumer and business-to-business organizations, and even uh, ad agencies and marketing agencies. My guest is Susan Johnston a freelance writer who has built her business on this type of writing. And Susan was gracious enough to spend some time with me recently to explain this opportunity in more detail. And in this conversation, she's going to share what exactly product descriptions are, who uses them, what are they used for, when are they used, uh, what this type of work involves and why she enjoys it so much, what fees is this type of work command, how much demand is there for these assignments, how she got started, and even how you can find clients for these fun projects. So we're going to get right to the interview. Enjoy it. Susan, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thanks so much, Ed. So today we're talking about a really cool concept and a type of, of writing uh, assignment that I'm not very familiar with. So I'm actually I'm very anxious to talk to you about this and learn more about it. And it's writing product descriptions for clients. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do um, as, a, as a writer and then what types of clients you serve. And then we'll, we'll kind of get into what these projects entail. Sure. Well, I've been a freelance writer since May of 2008, and I've done a variety of things like ghostwriting blog posts for clients, managing the social media feeds, a little bit of journalism work. I've worked primarily with nonprofits and business-to-consumer or B2C retail companies. Um, some of my past clients include Hasbro, Puma, Retail Convergence. I've also written about jewelry, candles, sheets, washes, a variety of different types of products. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And how did you get into this, by the way? How did you get into the freelance writing? You know, um, into freelance writing or product description? Well, let's freelance writing first. What made you pursue this path? Sure. Well, um, when I was in college, I, I did it to, to earn extra money. And at the time, I didn't really know anyone that was supporting themselves as a freelance writer full time. So it was it was just extra money and it was more flexible than been getting a job on campus. I could write, you know, write articles in my pajamas in my dorm room. So that was pretty cool. And then I worked in marketing for a couple of years after after college and eventually made the transition into full-time freelance writing. And I actually had my very first product writing gig um, in college. A local toy company was launching a website. So they needed someone to write about Toys, and it, I'm a little ashamed to admit this. It only paid three dollars um, per product description, but you know, at that point, I didn't care because I was really just getting experience and building my portfolio. And then, probably like five years later, I actually started writing product descriptions a little more seriously. And you know, th- even that beats uh, working at the financial aid office, doesn't it? It does, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Cool, very cool. All right, so let's let's get into this whole. Um, 
project type. Let's delve a little deeper into product description. So who uses them? What types of companies use, use them? And where do they use them? Where are they used? Sure. Well, I've mainly written product descriptions for business-to-consumer companies, but there are business-to-business or B2B companies that use product descriptions as well. Um, if you get catalogs or if you shop online, there's those little bits of copy that usually appear somewhere near the, the photo of the product. It might be a couple of sentences. It might be a whole paragraph. Um, the length really varies depending on, on the client. Sometimes it includes um, technical specs like washing instructions or the dimensions of an item. And sometimes it's really just focused on giving consumers a good, a good experience and kind of creating a little bit of mystery and, and excitement around the product. Okay, so there's some good variety. It's not, I guess the first thing that came to mind for me was catalog copy, you know, but there are yep. many, many different varieties of this, many different situations where they'll be used. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times a, an e-commerce company's website is really like, it's, it's very similar to catalog, only it's in digital format. Okay, okay. So tell me a little bit about what this type of work involves. You know, it's funny, all of the product descriptions that I've ever written, I've never actually been able to hold the item that I was writing about because it's just just not time efficient to, you know, get shipped 200 pairs of shoes and, you know, hold each, each shoe. It's just, it just take too much time and it's just cost prohibitive for the client. So, so usually I get images of the item from, from multiple angles, maybe some rough specs from the manufacturer, and then... Um, I use that as a jumping off point to kind of think about the reasons why someone would want to buy the product and then translate that into copy. Okay. That would be pretty cool if they mailed you everything, though. I think some, in some <laughs> cases they used to do that. I, I've, even, I've even worked on site for a couple of clients, and even then I didn't get to, to hold or, or see the item in person because their warehouse was separate from, you know, from their corporate headquarters. Yeah. So, in terms of uh, the expectations of the client, I mean, what what guidance do you get in terms of what they're using us for, how many words, what style they're going for? How helpful and savvy are clients when they give you these assignments? It it really depends on on the client. I've worked with clients that have you know multiple multiple e-commerce websites. They have a whole team of writers. They have a house style guy. They probably have their own content management system that, you know, won't let you put in more characters than are allowed. So, so they're really organized and they really have a strong sort of brand voice that they train their writers in. In other cases, I've worked with more clients that are more in startup mode and then they're kind of figuring out what they want and they're looking to me to kind of help, help craft that, that brand voice and the personality of their copy. Okay. Okay. You know, and that actually brings up another question. So I assumed the whole time that um, many of these clients were kind of in startup mode. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that a lot of these companies already have staff writers or working with an agency. So what would make a larger company want to go to a freelancer versus using a staff writer or an agency? Well, I've also worked through through agencies that might subcontract to me, so I think that that's, that's a good place for work as well. Obviously, it doesn't pay as well as if they hire you directly, but there are definitely some benefits to going through an agency as well. Um, I think that the reason that they would want to work with a freelancer is if they have a high volume of products in a very short time. Um, say they're getting ready for the holidays and they have thousands of 
of products that they need descriptions written for over the next month or two, it really doesn't make sense for them to hire a staff writer and then have them sit around the rest of the year. So freelancers are a good way for them to, to scale up and down according to their needs. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And if you come across clients uh, that maybe they're not just starting out, maybe they just need help. They, they got thousands of products out there already with very basic and bare bones descriptions and they need somebody to, to take that challenge on and, and make it more descriptive and more helpful. Sure. Yeah. I've also gotten situations where the client has, has copy, but they're they're kind of rebranding and they need their copy to reflect the, the new sort of personality of their brand. So that's another instance where they might come to me. I've also filled in for, um, say, it's a flash sale website and they have three sales, you know, starting brand new every day and someone's going on vacation. They can't, they can't necessarily do all their work in advance because of the fast-paced nature of, of those types of businesses. They might hire me to come in for probably two weeks so I have a week of overlap with the writer and then I'll cover their vacation for a week and then, you know, business can continue as usual even even while they're away. Okay. Okay. So there are different, many different scenarios out there, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, yeah. So give me an idea about the, the fees. W- what type of fees do these types of projects command? Sure. Well, in, in cases where I'm working on site, I would typically get an hourly rate. But I've also worked with a number of clients where I'm telecommuting and I'm getting paid per item because it's kind of it's kind of hard for them to to track my time when I'm working remotely. And it also it makes sense from my point of view because I'm very efficient to get paid per per item. So as I said earlier, my first product writing gig, I got three dollars per item that I could do, you know, several an hour. So it's not like I was getting three dollars an hour. And then I've also gotten as much as eighteen dollars per item. And, and again, you know, once you get up to speed on the process and and the, the company brand, you can work really quickly and make, you know, close to or more than $100 an hour, kind of depending on how efficient you are. Gotcha. So this is the kind of work where you got to take several factors into account. You can't just look at what they're paying you per description because if you can, once you're good and you can knock several of these an hour, your effective hourly rate could be $100 plus. Right, and I think that's why that's why it benefits the writer in this case to 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 use that pricing model rather than the hourly rate because with an hourly rate you're really there's no incentive for you to get more efficient. What would you say um, clients are willing to pay or typically want to pay for if they're paying by the hour? What have you seen out there? Kind of a rough range. Um, well, it's again, it depends on whether I'm working through an agency because they take their cuts so the, the writer's rate is a little bit lower or if I'm working on if I'm working on my own it might be um, forty dollars an hour it might be it might be a little bit more but again it kind of depends on it depends on the client and also how technical if they need someone who can be really technical or if they just need someone who's a little bit more creative that might also influence the rate gotcha yeah that makes sense so I can see why definitely if you can go flat fee uh, mm-hmm. then usually come out ahead. Um, okay. So uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, the demand for this type of, of work. So when we first started talking, I really had no idea, but as I'm, as I'm listening to you describe the types of clients and the type of work this involves, it sounds like there's quite a bit of product description work out there. I mean, if you think about all the catalogs you get in the mail from, you know, West Elm, Pottery Barn, um, 
you know, I don't know if Sears puts out their catalog anymore, but they certainly have a presence online. There are so many companies that have products and particularly flash sale sites, you know, they're cycling through products very, very quickly. They may have limited inventory, but they need copy that really um, kind of kind of reflects the sort of uniqueness. And I use that in quotes because, of course, when there's thousands of products, they're not really all that unique. But, you know, there's tons of different companies that need product descriptions. Also, I know people that write for sort of more technical products like refrigerators and other other appliances, and, and they need product descriptions as well, though they're probably a little bit more technical than the type of work I do. I don't know if this plays into it, but I had uh, been – this was maybe two years ago when Google put out their – panda update i think it was and they really started punishing websites that didn't have unique product content because it was a huge surge when i was working with a client right. uh, that, that did a lot of what you're talking about but more on the technical side managing um, product data and there was a huge push for companies especially e-commerce uh, retailers to take a, a look at all of their descriptions and come up with something a little bit more original and not use whatever the manufacturer was submitting. I think that's a better, I think it's a better customer experience too. Absolutely. I think Google was trying to mirror that, right? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying mm-hmm. to reward uh, companies and websites who are putting unique content out there versus everyone kind of using the same thing. It's not that they were punishing them, but they were um, pushing them down uh the 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 rank uh, because they were they were moving other companies up that had better fresher more original content. Sure, and some clients that I've worked with have been very aware of of SEO and wanting to get you know keyword phrases like blue shirt or brown couch into the copy, and others of them are really more focused on having something that sounds really hip and cool and captures their brand. So it's kind of it's specific to the client and their their well, point of view. And it sounds like you, um, in some cases, you're working with pretty savvy clients that are very good at helping you understand what they're looking for. And it sounds like in right. some cases, too, you, you've been doing this long enough that you know what questions to ask if you haven't been given the information. Yeah. I mean, one question you want to ask before you agree to a, a per product fee is about the copy process. I mean, are you are you sending Word documents back and forth? Are you working off an, an Excel document? Are you going to have to use the client's content management system, which may require you to you know, download some software? And kind of there could be a lot more technical stuff going on behind the scenes that you need to factor into that rate. That's a good point. That's a good point. So you may have mentioned this already, and I apologize if you did, but is this mm-hmm. all you do? Or is you, most of your work or all of your work product description work? No, I do. I do a number of different things. I've, you know, I've done product descriptions for for a couple of years. I was doing a lot of toy descriptions for about a year and a half. And it, even though it's a creative challenge to come up with different things to say about the the action figures or the the toy oven, you know, eventually I started to to want a new challenge. So I don't do as much of it as I used to. But I think it's a really a really neat niche for people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see how this would be. Um, I guess it depends on your personality, right? Because uh, for me, I wouldn't mind having some uh, some of this type of work. It's repetitive uh, and there's a good creative component to it. But I would also want a little right. bit of variety, too. So Definitely. I guess you have to know yourself and know what some people really love kind of the um, the systematic automated uh, type of work. So, you know, they kind of seek mostly that 
but I, I have to have some variety in what I do. Sure. So for, for a writer who's never done this type of work, um, how do you find clients? I mean, you told us your story about how you, you know, you started, uh, you were in college, but I mean, if you, if, if you had a friend who was interested in, she wanted to start today, what would you tell her? Well, um, I think LinkedIn can be, can be a great place to connect with people at the, the brands that you're interested in. Um, if you do an advanced search and search for people who are currently in, currently working at XYZ company, that way you're not contacting people who, you know, haven't been there in 10 years. Um, you want to look for titles like copy chief, copy director, um, probably not art director because that's a little bit more design oriented, but look, look for titles like that and look for, um, for brands that you feel would fit your, fit your writing style or also brands that you, you're familiar with as a consumer. So you have kind of an understanding of, of their brand identity. Um, you could also go the creative agency route and maybe, maybe write up a couple of, of sample descriptions and, tell the, the recruiter at the creative staffing agency, you know, I'm really, I'm really keen on writing product descriptions. And I did a couple of samples for, you know, XYZ company to give you a feel for, for what I'm capable of. Um, I think networking is, a, is another big way to do it because most copywriting clients are not necessarily, some of them are actively advertising for writers, but more often than not, it's sort of, it's through networking. Gotcha, and and it's interesting. So that uh, the 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 people who hire for this work is not a marketing director or marketing manager. They they actually have a copywriting manager or copy chief. For for bigger companies, smaller companies, it might might fall under the marketing role. Okay, interesting. Okay, do you think it it's a good idea to? pick a specific industry to focus on? For example, do only, you know, food products or at least focus mainly on that? Do you, th- have you, have you noticed that there's any advantages to specializing? I think so. I mean, I, I get contacted, I've done some home interior product description. So I get contacted through LinkedIn and also through creative staffing firms from people who say, you know, I saw that you, you've written descriptions of, furniture and rugs and sheet sets. And I have this client that's really looking for someone with, with your skill set. So I think that's a good idea, but also being open to being open to other opportunities that might be a good fit for your skill set. In, you know, going back to LinkedIn, um, so you said it, it's a great place to, to look for clients. It sounds like you get contacted uh, directly via LinkedIn from, by prospects. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Typically like, you know, maybe recruiters or, um, sometimes they are recruiting for a full-time opportunity and I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not in the market for a full-time opportunity at the moment, but I have this other, you know, colleague that I could recommend, or I could say, you know, I'm not, I'm really focusing on freelancing at the moment, but if you need someone to fill in while you're filling that full-time role, I might say that as well. Okay. No, that's smart. That's smart. You're building a relationship there, hopefully with some people. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm wondering in terms, because I haven't looked at your LinkedIn profile, but um, it sounds like you spent a little bit of time in your title uh, in LinkedIn and your uh, work history and your description in LinkedIn to, to just to maybe, did, yeah. right, to, to have some keywords mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, I, I think that the skills section of LinkedIn is particularly useful. You can add sort of, if 
you want to do product descriptions, you could add product descriptions as a skill. Um, I think I have catalog writing in there as well in case someone's using a little bit of a different search term. Um, but I also have a pretty big, pretty big network and I update my profile with, you know, articles that I've written or articles that are relevant to my industry on a regular basis. So I think that shows that I'm, you know, active and, and working. I think it's very smart. And, and I'm seeing a lot more clients starting a search in LinkedIn. You know, it used to be five years ago, even before they would uh, go to Google and search, you know, uh, product description copywriter. And I'm sure a lot of still, still do that, but I'm, I'm starting right. to see more prospects search within LinkedIn alone uh, for, for a specific right. skill set. Very cool. Um, what would you say, what type of writer would you say is best suited for this kind of work? If there's someone out there thinking, you know, this sounds interesting, but I, I don't know if I have the temperament or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the skill set for this, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, there are a couple of, a couple of important qualities and they can seem a little bit contradictory. So you don't necessarily always find them in the same writer, but I think you really do need a lot of these qualities to become a go-to product description writer. As you've mentioned, there can be a lot of repetition in writing product descriptions. So you need, you need the patience to be willing to, you know, have 15 different sheet sets and figuring out how you're going to describe each one in a little bit different way. You also need very careful attention to detail, especially if you're working with, with product specs or writing descriptions of a more technical product like a refrigerator or a watch. Even with products that might not be so technical like toys, you need to be really careful about the SKU number of each item because that's the unique identifier for each product. And if you save a file with the wrong SKU or you upload it in the client's content management system to the wrong SKU, it's going to create a lot of headaches for you and the client. So you need to be really careful about that. Um, But you also need to be able to write very specifically to that client's specs, whether they want really short, um, punchy copy, or if they want something a little bit more longer and flowery, you really need to be able to to write to their specs. I had one client whose product descriptions were limited to 120 characters each, which is shorter than a tweet. So wow. I think if you're good at if you're good at writing tweets or you're good at writing haikus, and you can you know pack a lot of information into a very small um, space, I think that those skills could be transferable to writing writing product descriptions. Um, and the other thing is it's not uncommon to have a list of forbidden words. And I don't know if you've found this in your copywriting projects, but there might be legal reasons or it just might be the copy director's personal preference. But oftentimes there's, there's words that you can't use in your product descriptions and you need to find creative workarounds. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think every specialty has something like that, right? Uh, some words that are you definitely want to avoid no matter what. And some others you may want to check in with your client before you do a lot of work. Right. Right. So it's that, it's that combination of the, the agility and the creativity, but also being very detail oriented and, and, and very careful about making sure that you're writing the right copy for the right product. So one of the things that, um, that I would worry about if I were going after this kind of work is uh, working with a client who gives you some direction, but then Mm -hmm. you write, let's say, 20 of these, and they say, you know what, this is just not what we're looking for. This is off. 
and they can't really tell you more than that, that they're not very detailed in their feedback. Have you encountered much of that out there? Well, first of all, I I wouldn't do 20 and then get their feedback. I would probably do, do two or three. And I think most clients, particularly the ones that are very are very savvy are going to want you to do a very small number of products before you get their get their feedback because they don't want you to go go too far with it yeah um, and then just discover that you're off track you know so what? yeah I would I would do a really short number of products check in with them and then make adjustments as needed this sounds like uh, and, and I can see why that probably happens it sounds like a more copy savvy client than the people that I'm used to, to working with, which are business to business marketing managers or marketing directors. Not that they're not copy savvy, but you know, these people tend to have wear multiple hats and they right. don't do a lot of the content themselves. So you know the copywriting aspect is just one of the many facets of their job. So you you sometimes run into you know some some issues, stylistic issues. Not not always. It's it's actually pretty rare if you do your homework. But um what I'm hearing here with this type of work is that they're the this is what they do. So they know how to minimize these potential risks, which is great. And another yeah, and if 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 you're working through a creative agency and they are very savvy themselves, um, sometimes if they're if they're involved in the work, I worked in one agency where the founders of the agency had been doing the writing for a long time, and then they wanted to grow, so they they hired more writers to subcontract to. But they had been they'd been in the trenches doing the writing for a long time, so they were kind of the liaisons, and they had a good understanding of what the client wants, what they don't want, how to avoid issues, and so they were good. They were a good advocate when the copy process changed. Um, you know, as writers themselves, you could go, you could go to them and say, you know, the copy process has changed. I think we re- need to revisit the fee. And so they were they were the people that approached the client about about revisiting the fee. So that worked out great. Even though I wasn't making as much as working directly with the client, having someone who's really your your ally and your advocate was really helpful. That's that's a great point. Um, and, and you know, what, what would you say? So going to agencies, we're talking about agencies alone. What what factors would trigger a red flag for you as you're talking to them? They haven't hired you yet. Maybe they came to you because they, they need some work done. Uh, what would set off those alarms that would maybe indicate that they're just not, they wouldn't be very great to work with? I think in a lot of cases for me, the deal breaker has been that their their expectations for the fee is just, is just too low. And then the conversation just sort of, if it's really like bargain basement, I know I'm not going to get them to double or triple their rates. So the conversation just kind of ends there. Um, I, I just ask a lot of questions and try to get a sense of kind of what 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 they're looking for in their writers, how they work together with writers, whether they have a lot of writers for a long term or whether it tends to be more one-off projects. If they have writers that they've worked with for years and years, that's that's a more encouraging sign than if they're constantly posting ads, um, like looking for new writers, that means there might be high turnover. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I'm, I'm sure that, um, you, you, you've been down that road and it's, it's not a lot of fun to work and specifically with agencies cause you're answering to them and it could be a communication breakdown between them and the client and between them and you. And so it could, it could get really hairy very fast. Um, so what would you say you enjoy most about this, this type of work about writing projects, product descriptions? 
I really like the challenge of finding new ways to describe a set of sheets or a necklace or a watch. I think it, it can really stretch you creatively. And I started doing this a few years before Twitter came out. So I think it kind of primed me to think in headlines and think really short and to to not always feel like you have to have a long, complex sentence that, that short sentence fragments, you know, depending on the brand and depending on their style guide, short sentence fragments or just short, punchy declarative sentences can be very powerful too, especially if you have very small space to work with. Very cool. Very cool. It's, uh, I'm sure there's a great deal of satisfaction when you see your, your work out there on the, on a, you know, big brands website or a catalog. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to add, Ed, before we sign off is, and this is applicable to copywriters and lots of other niches too, but the importance of features versus benefits is so, so important for people writing about products. Um, Features are those things, as I'm sure you know, like sunglasses have an anti-glare coat, but the benefit would be why the anti-glare coat matters and how it helps the consumer. So the benefit might be that you can wear the sunglasses driving without worrying about glare from the sun. So you always want to be thinking about rather than selling the, and it doesn't tend to be very salesy copy. It tends to be more factual, but think about putting those benefits front and center rather than the features. That's a great point. That's a great point. You got to have a mix of both, but I, I, I see mm-hmm. writers, uh, Erring towards the the feature side than the benefit side, I think we automatically so, default to that, don't we? Yeah, and some, sometimes that's driven driven by the the client. So depending on the type of relationship you have with them, you might steer them more towards the benefit side, or if they have a stronger personality, you may just have to live with features. Susan, this is this has been really good. Um, where, where can listeners learn more about you and, and the work you do? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Urban News Writer. You can also check out my blog at urbannewswriter.com, or you can check out my professional website, which is susan-johnston, johnston with a T, dot com. And we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, I, I love this. I, I uh, was completely ignorant about this type of work, and uh, thanks for Thanks for shedding light on it. No problem, Ed. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I'm continually amazed at how many great opportunities there are for business writers. And the reality is that there are tons of these little pockets of opportunity out there that you may not even know exist. You just have to look and explore. So I hope this gave you some ideas on some things you could look into if it sounded interesting. A couple of quick announcements before I sign off. First, I wanted to let you know that today is the last day to enroll in my popular program, Effortless Productivity. This is a three-part class where I'll show you how to boost your productivity by 30% or more with a lot less stress. My approach to productivity improvement is much different from the typical time management advice you read out there, you hear out there, and it's designed specifically for freelancers because it's based entirely on my own experience as a solo professional. You can learn more about the program at www.productivesolo.com. Again, just keep in mind that enrollment closes today. 
Wednesday, July 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time because the first class starts tomorrow. So depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not get this in time. If you missed it, you can still go to that page and sign up to be notified next time I offer this class if and when I do that. Also, remember that you can grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash 13. These are very detailed notes and make great reference material, especially if you're somewhere where you just can't take notes. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd be very, very grateful if you shared it with friends. And the easiest way to do that is to go to b2blauncher.com forward, forward slash love or to simply use any of the social media sharing buttons that you'll see on the show notes page. And finally, I wanted to thank all of you who have taken the time to leave me either a quick star rating or a quick review on iTunes. It really means a lot to me. If you're enjoying the show and want to leave me a star rating or a sentence or two about the show and how you're enjoying it, just go to b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. That's the easiest way to do that. So that's it for today, folks. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.